You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. There was once a dream, you could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers, Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm going to have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be drawn. Yeah, I can fly. All it takes is faith. Well, if it isn't the Star-Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! Hey there, Neverlanders! Take your pixie out of your pocket, sprinkle some pixie dust around, and grab your happiest thoughts so that you can fly away with me, your Spider-Pan, Jeremy, as we go away to Neverland once again, and we're bringing special friends with us! Hey, do y'all remember Trenton Larkin? He's been on here a couple of times. He's the host of Who Did That Voice, where he gets a really good in-depth look at voiceover, and not just with the actors, but with the industry itself. You're going to learn a lot listening to his show, and Trenton is here with us to fly to Neverland. Hi, Trenton! Hey, what's going on? Well, we're flying right now over the unnamed ocean as to our island here at Neverland. And as we come in for a landing, we've got all kinds of fun stuff we're doing today. We've got some interesting news from around the world of Disney. Uh, we've also got a, a fun time. We're going to go through a movie review of a movie that I was like, gee, do I want to watch this? Do I not want to watch this? But you went to go see Power Rangers, so we'll be able to talk about that. And then I've also spent some time talking to the creators. If you've looked on Netflix... Uh, there's an, a, a documentary called An Animated Life of Floyd Norman, who was the first African-American animator at the Walt Disney Studios. And I've got Eric Sharkey and Michael Fiore, or Fiore, I haven't figured out which yet. <laughs> but they, they came to talk about the documentary, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And we've got a lot to do, so we might as well get to some news. Disney and Geek Universe to bring you the best in comics, toys, movies, and entertainment. This is news from around Neverland. Alrighty, well, the first thing now, you know, the Planet Hollywood Observatory had already opened. I've even heard that, I don't know if you listen to WDW Radio. I do sometimes, yeah, from time to time when I have some time, which is not always. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I already heard Lou Mangello take his family into the, the Planet Hollywood Observatory and review the uh, the restaurant. And then I saw that they did a grand opening later, which I guess is a typical thing. But they actually had Reese, Reese Witherspoon on hand to open this up. Wow. Uh, and this... You know, I've never eaten in a Planet Hollywood before, but I, you know, if I guess if I was going to eat at one, this would be the one to go to there at yeah. Disney Springs. Yeah, I ate at a uh, Planet Hollywood in New York back in like 2006, and they are really unique. But uh, I'm sure that one would be extra special. Yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, Disneyland's Autopia has been there. 
I think it was a park opening uh, attraction, if memory serves, and uh, the listeners will be familiar with the midget Autopia that Walt Disney actually gave to his hometown of Marceline. Uh, so, I mean, this is a, a, a rich history to this ride. And here uh, recently, in 2016, the cars were repainted because they are now sponsored by Honda. And the cars have been updated with fuel-efficient Honda engines. They got badges. They got new tires. And they've also got the advanced step in innovative mobility, humanoid robot, and its new robotic dog or robotic friend, Bird. I don't know why I called it a dog. <laughs> Which these characters are apparently on a road trip, and as you're on Autopia, now you can get a story of you see these two characters on a road trip. Oh wow! Uh, and there's a there's a few photos here on the blog, which are you know kind of funny of Bird uh, getting tangled in a tree from his parachute, uh, and all different things, but. Uh, Golly, okay, you've you've been on test track before, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, it's it's educational. Yeah, but it's it is. it's almost like a big car commercial. Yeah, it is kind of yeah, like you're in the commercial. Yeah, that's what this looks like. This, I mean, you've got a, a robot who's you know it's basically a posed character with a big Honda label on it, and you're just seeing what he does. And this, I think, you know, they've had a few commercials with this robot or something. Yeah, if if you've seen any of the Honda commercials with the robot, he actually like brings like a tray of food to a person, and they're trying to get it to where he's like an autonomous helper um, and kind of an assistant. So I'm sure that's kind of what he is doing, kind of standing by that vehicle. And then the bird is rather actually cute. It's yeah. kind of kind of unique looking. I'm sure it's just for the ride itself, but the robot itself is an actual working robot that they're. Uh, I think they even sent one to uh, space with NASA, I think. Cool. But I don't remember. Uh, but yeah, that's really cool that they're kind of revamping that and uh, taking that classic ride to a new level. So Yeah, except for they, they've turned it into a giant commercial. Now, I understand you've got a Honda you know, sponsor, and you're just kind of keeping things going so that you can keep updating it. But this just seems too much to me. I... I I don't know. That's just with how my my head works. I, you know, having some Honda stuff and maybe some Honda technology you can learn about it in the cars uh, and fuel efficiency. That would be cool. But having this much in the park, I don't know. This, but you this, have to, I, you have to understand to keep things going. Sometimes you need funding. You yeah. Know, even for uh, anything you do, any project you do, even a podcast needs funding. You know, and <laughs> uh, you know we both know that from our experiences, but. You know, I mean, if a sponsorship comes in and says, hey, we're going to give you X number of millions or billions of dollars to do this, they would be stupid not to take the money. Because, you know, think of the disrepair the ride could have been in. Disney could have been considering to completely remove it altogether. And then Honda comes in and says, look, we want to give you enough funding to reboot it, but we want to put a spin on it that helps it tell a new story, but keeps the old alive as well, you know? Yeah, but this... This almost makes me think of uh, one of my complaints about the modern Pirates of the Caribbean is just too much Donny, Johnny Depp. And this looks like it's too much Honda. Well, it, it should be just enough to where you're educated about the products without feeling like you're driving through a commercial. But at the same time, if you ride the carousel of progress, Disney's always been about progress. Even That's true. Even from the very beginning and, and always been about the future with Epcot. So you have to consider this is futuristic technology. This is yeah. something that's kind of predicting. I mean, the vehicle is very non-today. It's very futuristic. The robot's futuristic. The bird's futuristic. Um, and you have to think GE and a lot of other companies have featured Kodak. rides. Yeah, a lot of different, yeah, Kodak, different rides at, um, you know, Epcot um, and those things. So, you know, outside 
wide, even test tracks as, you know, sponsored by, I think it's Chevrolet now. Um, you know, mm-hmm. they, they change it all the time, but, um, yeah. so there's, there's sponsors all the time. And as to how much influence they have on the ride, I can understand that it might kind of seem like an overabundance, but at the same time, um, you know, they have to have sponsorships to keep things motivated and going yeah. and changing all the time. Cause Disney itself can't bring in all the money. Uh, you know, because they're opening new parks all the time and expanding mm-hmm. new rides. So there's money that they expend, and then they have to have other funders come in to sponsor things sometimes. So so if you all get a chance to go to Disneyland and ride this new Autopia, let us know what you thought of these new additions. Does it add to the fun and the experience of the ride? Do you feel like you've learned something about some of the new technology? Or did it seem like, wow, this is a lot of Honda? <laughs> let, <laughs> let us know what you think when you actually ride it, because I've actually never been on the thing myself at all. <laughs> <laughs> so are you you probably already heard about this Orlando in the Magic Kingdom is getting a brand new fireworks show that starts May 14th yes I have mm-hmm. yes and it's called Happily Ever After they have a, a country star uh, which I forgot her name uh, but uh, they're singing it, and the main thing is I just want to share this audio preview of some, it's a video that they actually have put up. If you go to the Disney Parks YouTube channel you can watch these two singing it but here's a little sample of some of the music All right, now here, this is kind of cool. So 25 years ago, do you remember where you were when you heard about, it was called, let's see, what was it, Euro Disney at the time? Yeah, I believe so, yeah, when it first came out, when they were first announcing it, I mean. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember it was open, and I, I remember being in high school, and, you know, it had that initial success, you know, that, that usually these new parks, sometimes in these foreign lands, they do have a big boost in sales, and then the kind of tapers off, and, you know, and some people called it a bit of a failure. In fact, I had a friend of mine in high school, we were doing a thing in drama, and we made kind of a, a joke on Jurassic Park of a failed theme park, and, oh yeah, we're going to Euro Disney. <laughs> uh, but Disneyland Paris has survived for 25 years and is still there and they oh my goodness they got all kinds of stuff going on and it is one of my goals to get over there just because the castle is beautiful uh terry harden has uh created this dragon this that's animated down below it that i really want to see in person i mean there is so much cool stuff going on over there but they're adding some new things and this is starting on sunday march 26th so By the time you're hearing this, it's probably already started. So if you're going to Paris, go check it out. But at Star Tours, the adventure continues. This is pretty much getting them updated now with some new adventures, kind of like what they already have here in the States. Uh, They're also going to give you a chance to meet Darth Vader in a Meet the Dark Side of the Force over by the Star Tours Adventure Continues ride. Private meet and greet. 
the Disney Stars on Parade is going to be adding some new floats and a whole bunch of new Disney Stars costumes, all kinds of fun stuff. There's going to be a, a Mickey Presents Happy Anniversary Disneyland Paris stage show specifically going on in front of Sleeping Beauty Castle. The Starlet Princess Waltz, which is another brand new show, which is going to have like Tinkerbell and Ariel and Belle and Snow White and Cinderella and just anybody you want to see. <laughs> and then as Night Falls, Disney Illuminations, which is going to be a wonderful, of course, state-of-the-art, uh, I mean, of course it's state-of-the-art, it's Disney making one of these shows, it's going to be high-tech, and then later this spring, they're going to get Star Wars Hyperspace Mountain, so this is some things that we've kind of seen here in the States, and but they haven't done it in Paris, and I think this is really part of that boost, uh, we, we're looking at... Uh, we talked, I guess it's been about a month, about Disney kind of buying more of the, of the, um, the actual park itself because Disney will sometimes contract out with these parks and have other companies run these outside parks for them. But Disney has taken an upper hand and been buying all of the shares up for Disneyland Paris. And this seems to be a big move in spoofing up that park and making it as awesome as it could possibly be so i i really would love to fly over to paris and check it all out but <laughs> i'm a poor podcaster and college student i'm not gonna make it <laughs> <laughs> well when you're talking about where were you back when disney euro was announced i was like well i was six years old at the time so <laughs> <laughs> wow i'm old <laughs> i was like wow that was forever ago i didn't even realize they've been open that long i feel really old now i'm like wow 25 years and i haven't wow <laughs> <laughs> you feel old huh yeah <laughs> I was in high school. Well, you're like, do you remember when they announced it? I'm like, yeah, I probably <laughs> vaguely saw a commercial and didn't care at all because I was six years old at the time. Just Disney, cool, whatever. But uh, as far as the, uh, you mentioned something about um, Star Wars Hyperspace Mountain. I originally remember they were doing that for a limited time only, but have they officially like made that the name of the ride now, especially in Florida or... Uh, well, I don't believe Florida has ever gotten it because Florida being that it's more the tourist park, they like to keep everything as is so that people who come into town get to see it as the same experience as everyone else. But in Disneyland, that's where they'll take the Haunted Mansion and spruce it up for the holidays. And that's also where they've turned uh, Space Mountain into Hyperspace Mountain, which they did for a limited time. And then they turned it back to... to uh, I guess the regular, but I have heard that they've turned it back into Hyperspace Mountain because it's been so popular that people are enjoying it, and Star Wars is big right now, wow. like, it, like it always is, really. Yeah, yeah. But that, I have heard that they've gone back. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it's going to go back and forth. They'll probably find a good season to switch it back and forth over at Disneyland. And Paris, I'm sure it'll do the same thing. They'll go back and forth and have it a seasonal fun thing of, like, it's time to go Star Wars. Now it's time to be normal. Now it's time to be Star Wars. Yeah. You know. Either way, it's I, I gotta see it. You know, I haven't gotten to write it. Eric has told me about it. It sounds fantastic. <laughs> so especially it's Star Wars fans, so you gotta go. Yeah, definitely. Oh, but there's something to do stateside. And uh, if somebody is feeling generous with my birthday coming up, because my birthday is May 26th, and this is the big 4-0 this year, and I've been looking for something really big to do. But at Disney's Hollywood Studios, if somebody would just love to pay my airfare and my ticket to get in, the music of Pixar Live is beginning on May 26th in Disney's Hollywood Studios, and this is limited. They're going to play music from all of the Pixar films, including all the Cars movies, the Toy Story movies, and all that, and it's, it's going to be on the stage where normally they've had that Beauty and the Beast stage show running forever, uh, but they're going to do this. It's a music of Pixar Live! Oh, nice. This just sounds so cool. So I, I would love to go. So if somebody wants to get me a really awesome birthday present, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I you would be my favorite Neverland fan of all time. Never gonna happen. <laughs> but you know, hey, <laughs> that's funny. And speaking of Orlando, here's something else that I want to go to that I'll never probably ever get to. Star Wars Celebration, and they have released a schedule uh, of all the different panels and events going on different floors. There's a 40th anniversary celebration, because conveniently, it Star Wars originally was released the day before I was born, so we both get to turn 40 together. And this wow. is going to feature, like, Billy D. Williams is going to be the head of the panel, uh, which I've seen him in a panel. I still have to share that audio. Ian McDermott and Ray Park, which... It is one of my goals to see Ray Park because anything I've seen him on the panel, he is just the coolest thing. Uh, there's, of course, going to be a, a stage for Star Wars The Last Jedi, which you better believe I will be paying attention to to bring you any information that I can about the upcoming film. There's also going to be small talk, haha, with Warwick Davis. Uh, a sneak peek of Star Wars Rebels, Rebels 4. Anthony Daniels of talking about being 40 years as C-3PO. Uh, a co- cosplay, a bunch of voices for The Smuggler's Revenge. Lots of stuff going on. Uh, if you go to StarWars.com in their news area, you can find this entire schedule for the celebration. So if you're planning on Go, you better plan on what panels you want to hit because uh, it's going to be a crowded mess and you better be in line for all this stuff because otherwise you probably will not get in. Yeah, it's going to be an amazing event, and I know that uh, the four-day tickets have already sold out like four or five months ago, so if you're going, you're only going to be able to buy day tickets at a time, which is going to be more expensive, but that's unfortunately the only option they have right now. Now, if somebody would like to smuggle me into the uh, the, the thing in a suitcase, or uh, perhaps let me pretend to be Yoda on your backpack as your dress is Luke Skywalker. I only <laughs> weigh 226 pounds. You can certainly carry me, plus I'm losing weight. So, you know, by the time it's there, I might be down to, you know, 200. Or so, you can just get a press me. pass and go in. That would be cool, but I still have to get to Orlando. <laughs> so you still have to smuggle me in your suitcase. So, you know, let's let's talk. We'll set something up. We'll do lunch. <laughs> a salad lunch, but <laughs> we'll do lunch. Funny. Uh, oh, and speaking of Star Wars, this is something I've just seen pop up, and I'm still kind of uh, in... I don't know what to think about it. Yeah. Completely. Uh, well, I got some ideas of it, but Bob Iger was at uh, some sort of a press thing and mentioned that in the upcoming Han Solo standalone film, which is ha, it's a solo film, get it? Ha, 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 ha. I'm good. <laughs> These are the jokes, folks. These are the jokes. You get what you pay for when it's a free podcast, right? <laughs> but Bob Iger said that we're going to learn Han Solo's real name. Yeah, I don't like that at all, remotely. Yeah, uh, I think hashtag Han shot first is going to become hashtag Han is his name. I don't yeah. know. We're uh, we're gonna. I, hopefully they change that idea, or maybe Iger was said something and we just didn't understand exactly what he meant. Uh, that he's got some sort of a other name, or how he earned the name as being the best smuggler or something, or maybe what Chewbacca actually calls him. Yeah, maybe it's a code name or something. I don't know. Because in some of the stories, they say that Han was actually a stormtrooper at one point in time. Right. He was an Imperial officer. So maybe he's had to change his name to hide the fact that he was once with the Empire. Which that could make sense. And if they tell the story right and I like the concept that they do, I'll go with it. But otherwise, he's always Han Solo to me. And I don't care what Disney tries to do to change the legacy of Han Solo's name. But 
It could have been like a witness protection program in outer space, and they changed it to Han Solo to hide his identity. Who knows? Yeah. I wouldn't call it witness protection. I would say it's more, uh, I'm going into the criminal underground, and I need a new name. <laughs> not I'm like not Darth Vader wanted. couldn't read his mind and know that the you know guy that was delivering <laughs> equipment to the Empire wasn't previously working for them. I mean, like, you know, they're not stupid, well, but I yeah. we'll, we'll see. Darth Vader can't even recognize a droid that he built himself. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Or even the astromech that he used to run around with, you know. <laughs> yeah, sometimes the correlations between the films is kind of interesting. Like, you know, the way yeah. that uh, Rogue One ended with Darth Vader just being all out awesome with his lightsaber, killing people and choking people and taking their weapons, and then like you look at A New Hope and you're like, wow, there's nothing compared to what they already did. So it's like those don't even match up, but they're they match up by the way they edited the movies. You know, yeah. but I don't know. It's interesting, but I like that Darth Vader's more agile and stuff, but it doesn't explain why two seconds later he's just walking around doing nothing, you know? <laughs> well, he's let his stormtroopers take the job, but, you know, it does, and somebody took the liberty of showing the last scene and then editing straight into the, the opening of A New Hope, and you I do get that. to see, yeah, yeah, with the with the door starts going, now you got to be thinking, these troops might be thinking, oh my gosh, I hope Darth Vader's not about to come through that door. Yeah, but sometimes the correlations don't make sense because they're like, <laughs> we're on a diplomatic mission. But like, if in in Rogue One you see the ship leave and Darth Vader sees that ship leave, yeah. And so sometimes the things that they say in A New Hope, I don't feel they correlate with how they ended Rogue One because it's like it's not just some random vessel. And I think they even say you know transmissions were transmitted to this vessel, yeah, or beamed aboard this ship, or beamed aboard the ship. But they physically handed the plans from one guy to another and it's like how i don't know a lot of that doesn't make sense to me anymore but yeah the way i figure because it was beamed to the ship that the uh the tantive or tantive went from so vader all he knows is okay it was beamed here and it's connected with this ship and if you were on that ship and darth vader's going it's like hey you know we we know that you've got this of course you're gonna lie your teeth out (laughs) <laughs> you know, oh, we're on a diplomatic mission. You know, we have look, see, we've even got a senator on board. We don't know what you're talking about, and that's of course why Vader is, is probably getting even more angry because, like, I watched it happen. Okay, you were right there. I nearly had you. Don't lie to me. <laughs> Choke and die. You know, it adds something to it because you're like, you know, you can see they're because clearly they were lying through their teeth anyway. But yeah. now it makes it even more intense, and you can feel Vader's anger and frustration at nearly having everybody and having the plants back in his hands and them getting away from him and then it catches up to him and they're lying to him it's like excuse me yeah mm-hmm. so yeah it, it does kind of give you a different perspective on things but you do have to make those leaps in your head of like but wait a minute i wouldn't mean beam aboard i guess maybe he meant this ship and yeah stuff like you're yeah. talking about where it doesn't always fit yeah it doesn't <laughs> but we go with it because we love it yeah we do we do <laughs> yep Oh, and now this is awesome, and uh, you're, you're really just you, individually, you're going to have to take a look to see if this is coming to you, but they are in a big promotion for Cars 3. They're going to have the life-size versions of like Lightning McQueen and some of the other characters going on a tour across the country, wow. and I did see that uh, May 24th, they're going to be here in Kansas City at Union Station. Uh, that is on a Wednesday of all weirdness of days. Uh, I am planning to go, and I will get some photos and whatever I'm allowed to get to bring back to you. But uh, if you go to ohmy.disney.com, 
Uh, you should be able to find this. This uh, this news just broke here on the 21st. Uh, so go look up uh, for Cars 3. Find out if they're coming to you. There is a PDF file that you can download that has a schedule of all their locations. Uh, even if you're not a Cars fan, really, if you're thinking, eh, well, the first one was cool, the second one was terrible, and, you know, whatever. You've got to be excited, at least for Cars 3, what we've seen. It does look really cool. And it's still a Disney event, and it's still going to be fun. And your kids are going to love it, In your, even if you're a 40-year-old kid, which I will be <laughs> nearly 40 at the time, and... I'm going to have fun with it. I'm not even an Ascar fan. I just think it'll be awesome. Yeah, I think so, too. I think from the previews I've seen of Cars 3, it's come a long way from Cars 1, and I'm really excited mm. to see it. So, Yes, a slightly darker feel, perhaps, and wow, yeah. scary. We'll see. <laughs> but, uh, okay, this is this. I, I saw this a while back, and this is pretty cool, because uh, there used to be a comic strip in newspapers that was Muppets. Really? Yeah, and I've, I've gotten to see some of it. Uh, one of the artists of it had to load, uh, lend some of his art to uh, the uh, museum up there in Marceline. I, I don't know if it was... Was this still up there when we were there uh, in September? I, I, I don't recall it, no. Because uh-uh. I think he, he took some of it with it. Uh, Guy Gilchrist though, was one of the artists. But Marvel has announced a Muppets Omnibus collection. Where are they going to collect all of these comic strips and release it? Oh, wow. That's now, I should have... I should have looked at exactly when this is coming out. I just, you know, I just saw this and was excited, like, oh my gosh, a Muppets comic. So, <laughs> yeah. that's so funny. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna keep my eyes open, and, and I will, of course, be getting myself a copy because I have to. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, it's time to spend a little bit of time in the trailer park. All right, y'all. One more time. It don't matter what you look like. It don't. Nobody gonna sing with me. The Neverland Trailer Park We have to be ready You, me, the others There's an attack coming From far away Not coming, Bruce it's already here. The others. Where are they? Arthur Curry. The Aquaman. It's on him. Organic and biomechatronic body parts. He's a cyborg. You should probably move. Barry Allen. Whoever you're looking for, it's not me. He's a Batman. They said the age of heroes would never come again. It has to. Superpowers again? I'm rich. One thing I can tell you is you got to be free. My turn. Come together. Come together. 
Shall we? It's good to see you playing well with others again. Just like a bat. I dig it. Maybe temporary. All right, so the moment we were waiting for, and I was actually sitting on YouTube this morning just waiting for this to drop because they've been teasing it all week. A Justice League trailer has finally been released to show us everything. And the first thing I, I instantly thought uh, is, you know, one of the things with the DC heroes, whenever they've come in contact with Marvel and they have the crossover, the DC heroes will always mock the Marvel heroes for, you know, your, your cities are dirty and gritty and all this stuff. There's something wrong here. When, like, in, in DC, we are looked up and, and held up to high esteem, and we are icons. You know, Superman is, like, held in high regard and stuff, and it's a completely different world. But then you watch this trailer, and it is dark. My goodness, dark. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, but I'm dying to, so I'm sure I'll check it out uh, after this. But well, That was the first thing that went through my head, and it, it, it really didn't give anything... Of a, of a plot other than, oh, well, there's something that threatens the world. So Bruce Wayne has been putting together a Justice League. Uh, and they you know show a lot of action sequences and a little bit of uh, humor there at the end. I actually am not excited from from this. I was thinking, oh, this could be cool. But I don't know. Something when I watched it, I was a little bit like, meh. Yeah, I've seen this before. It was called The Avengers, and I loved it. And The Avengers, and you know, Philip and I were actually just talking about this this week. That the great thing about the Marvel films and The Avengers is they went for it. It's bright, it's colorful, it's fun, it's aliens and superheroes, and they did it in a way where it's believable, but we were able to go with it. And it completely looks different from what DC is trying to do with just dark, gritty, and just I don't know. It doesn't. For Justice League, I can't see it being this dark, gritty type of thing. If that were just Batman by himself, okay. But this is the Justice League. This is the Flash and Wonder Woman. And In my opinion, the shows they do on the CW are way better with Arrow and Flash and Supergirl. Those have that same kind of Marvel feel where they're lighter, they're brighter, they're more exciting, they're more vibrant. People love these characters. And so for them to turn around and recast most of the Justice League they've already established on the CW, I didn't understand why we were recasting all these people for the big screen, you know, and making a whole nother team of Justice League when they've already created the Justice Society and everything like in the CW. And they mm -hmm. said they wanted to keep the world separate where like Marvel has done all their TV shows and they all connect to the movies some way or another. And, you know, Marvel got in the game early and Justice League was supposed to release like 10 years ago with a whole nother <laughs> cast and it tanked. Yeah. And, you know, I think they missed the bus by like 15 years, 10 years or, oh, not 10 years, not 15 years. It hasn't been that long, but it's been about 10 years. And, and they've just, I think they missed the boat and they've wanted to go for this nittier, grittier, darker tone, which DC comics are a lot darker, but I don't think it's appealing to people like they wanted it to because they went in a totally opposite direction from Marvel uh, to be different. But I think it, it was not good for them. Now, the Wonder Woman previews I've seen look amazing, but I yeah, wasn't I'm excited in, for that. I wasn't impressed with the Batman v Superman. I don't think I'll be impressed with the Justice League trailer from what you've said and from the little sneaks that I've seen of it. Um, it's just I don't like how they're going with it, because even um, the Christian Bale Batmans to me were too real. They were too they were so real that there was no fantasy to be like, Oh, this could happen. It was like, yeah, there's robbers and they're wearing masks. Cool. But th there was no, <laughs> there was no awesome, like, Oh wow. Like Gotham on Fox. That's an amazing show, you know, but 
they just Christopher Nolan and then they just wanted to make it so real. I think it kind of kills it for me. So, yeah, you got to remember your source material is still comic books. Yeah. Yeah. It's not real. Yeah. Marvel Studios has done this the right way with saying, you know what? We can do the fantastic. But if you make your characters grounded enough and believable, people will go with it. If the people seem if the characters seem real enough in themselves, which is something Marvel's always been good at is they had ordinary style people that were in these fantastic situations and so when you put in a movie suddenly you can have these ordinary regular relatable people and put them in fantastic uh, situations and the audience gets to go in that fantastic situation with them and love every minute of it so yeah nice try warner brothers but uh, all you dc fans can get mad at me all you want but <laughs> i make mine marvel i'm loving the marvel movies and dc universe I, a dark superman is where you drop the ball yeah as soon as you darken superman you have lost your biggest icon in DC, Superman, should never be dark. Batman can be dark. Superman should never be dark. And I'm going to make one more comment, and I'll be done with this. But I think the uh, DC Universe does way better on television because the TV shows have always been amazing, starting with Smallville. I loved Smallville. I loved the tone they had for Superman growing up and in becoming Superman. Um, and then all of the new shows with Arrow and Supergirl and Flash and everything. But I think when it comes to feature films, Marvel has that patent down and CW or DC has it down when it comes to TV shows, but they can't make a movie worth anything of late from, in my opinion. So, yeah. And so it has been said. And so it is law. Cause you are right. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least I'm going to agree with your opinion and my opinion. And so if people want to disagree with us, they're wrong. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and DC makes fantastic animated films. Like their animated oh, yes. movies are killer like they should stick to what they do best because it comes to feature films they don't do very well but their animated feature films and their live action tv shows are stellar so i don't understand why their feature films are suffering so much but well because they're just not marvel (laughs) (laughs) okay but Uh, i'm kidding y'all kidding okay but it's time to go for a movie review There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Hey, a movie! Yeah, yeah we're gonna be a movie! Starring everybody and me. Boy, I wish I were you people seeing this for the first time. Herman, I got a great picture of the chicken! Oh, good! Alrighty, now I remember... Uh, golly, what was it? Probably, mm, it was right around the time of Jurassic Park was out. So this would have been, uh, it was either 1992 or 1993. I remember when Mighty Morphin Power Rangers debuted on a Saturday morning and I watched it and I thought, wow, look, it's Voltron mixed with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mixed with Jurassic Park. Of course, kids (laughs) are going to love it. But I was like, this is the campiest, cheesiest, dopiest thing since Adam West put on a bat suit, which (laughs) I, I still love the old 66 Batman. And I was not into it at all. (laughs) <laughs> but there's a new movie and you grew up with Power Rangers so you were the perfect age for it I was probably just too old for it and so you were a fan oh yeah I've watched every episode um, I'm an avid follower of the show not necessarily I don't necessarily like some of the newer seasons as much but I follow it because it's a history you know and it kind of builds on itself sometimes when Disney had it they kind of went a different direction with the show for a while but Saban's kind of brought it back to its origins um, and this new feature film was just amazing. I got to see it two days before it released to the general public, and uh, it was amazing. Yeah, I, it's uh, the only real connection I, I guess I would have is, uh, and I recently played the audio where Austin St. John 
who was the original Red Ranger, was at a, a convention. And he himself, he is an awesome guy and has done a lot of, you know, uh, been a fireman. He was a military medic, uh, served overseas. I mean, that guy is awesome. And <laughs> I don't know who these Rangers are, but I don't know if they can be as awesome as some of what the actors have done. We'll just say that. Because even the guy who, uh, the long-haired guy, uh, does like, he's got like a Christian MMA thing that he does. I'm like, hey, that's cool too. So Jason David MMA. Frank. Yeah, yeah, he can seriously yeah. kick your butt if you wanted to, but he's a nice guy, so he won't. Yeah, unless you cross him. <laughs> he he is an awesome guy. I haven't personally gotten to talk with him, but um, I follow his Facebook. And uh, Jason David Frank is a huge fan uh, of mine because, or I'm a huge fan of his. <laughs> oh, he's a fan of you. We know. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, because he was Tommy the Green Ranger and then became White Ranger, and um, the new feature film was just. I was very skeptical going in. I even told my wife, I'm not going to like this. It's going to be horrible. Everything I had seen preview wise didn't give me a hint of anything remotely worth even going to see it. But since I had free movie passes to a screening, I was like, I'm not spending any money on this. So I won't miss anything because it's not going to be any good. And when we saw the movie, my wife even loved it. And she likes geeky stuff like me, but not to the extent that I do. And when she came out of there, she said, I love this movie. And I was like, wow, really? Because I did too. It was, it blew my mind out of the water. It was different. It's a reimagining, um, but it's action packed. It's funny. There's modern day humor. Um, you know, people go, it's not the same as power Rangers. Well, it came out in 93, the dress, <laughs> the, the period of the hairstyles, the period of the outfits, they didn't have cell phones. I mean, there's so much that was different back then. And yes, it's iconic because it was done almost 25 years ago and it's cemented in cement. You know, it's, it's amazing because it is what it is and it was original and it was the first time. And the series used to run like 60, 70 episodes a season. And now they run like 18 or 20 and they're done. And so we really got to know the original Rangers. We knew who they were inside and out for the most part, but in this new movie, we actually learned stuff about the characters because it is the original Jason and Kimberly and Trini and Billy and Zach. And we learn more about who those people are on a more personal level. And they crack jokes that are more up to date and uh, Krispy Kreme's in the movie and it's super funny. Um, it was just, it was really well done. Um, it is a little campy, but it is up to date and um, it's not as campy as the TV show, but uh, it's a reimagining and it's amazing. I, I highly recommend it to everyone, Ranger fan alike or non Ranger fan alike. Uh, it's a great date night movie, great kid movie, good for all ages. So uh, I highly recommend it. So, it, of course, there had to be a little bit of campy to keep it in league with what the series is like. But overall, just a lot of fun then, right? Oh, yeah. It's a lot of fun, but it is modernized, you know. So, it's – I think this universe is going to be separate from the TV show. Um, yeah, clearly. <laughs> but they have a six-movie story arc. Lionsgate's already planned out. Um, oh, my goodness. And if you're a fan of Power Rangers, if you know the original series, they're going to talk about stuff that correlates back to your childhood. And you're going to hear it, and it's going to make you – laugh and cheer and be happy because they do a lot of throwback to the fans, but they also do a lot of new stuff for people who might not have ever seen power Rangers. Now the CG, uh, it looked really bad, at least to me, uh, on the commercials. Does it look a lot better on a bigger screen? It looks really good on the movie screen. There are some times where it can seem maybe a little off, but it's not very much so because the CG technology has gotten so amazing. It's really hard almost to distinguish the reality from the, the artificial now. 
Yeah. Well, that's good because yeah, I, I would I would want to believe that there's a giant Zord thing walking around in in, in whatever the town is. I forget the name of Angel Grove. Yeah, <laughs> Angel Grove. Yeah, yeah. yeah which is very strange to me when I saw in the trailer that they've got them in a school for juvenile delinquents. I'm like, what? So well, it's uh, it's detention. Which there were some episodes or one episode where they all got to go to detention, and then there were these like other rangers that were actually putties in disguise and they were causing trouble in the school. So a lot of what mm. they do in this movie is a throwback to segments of up episodes from the original series. And they took it and they combined everything from three seasons and made it into a movie. It was fantastic. It was really wonderful. Wow. So, so do we get a chance of, uh, the big, what is it? Zed was the big Lord Zed, who was actually kind of a cool looking character who was like a, a secondary villain. He came in after, I guess they were done with Rita or something. Rita uh, was the but, only main villain that was really introduced, but she does tell us that more people will come to earth to destroy the power Rangers. So who knows what's coming next? I said, so did I actually get the name right? It was Lord Zed or something. It was this big red yeah, guy. that was kind of yeah. cool looking. Lord Zed so. came in like season two and a half, like season two midway or season three. Um, but so he may come in the future. Um, I think they're keeping to the origins of what people already know, but the stories were being told a little bit differently so that it's not the same old hat that you've heard before. And what they do about putties is they find a way to make them actually threatening instead of weird gray guys going. <laughs> <laughs> they are kind of like rock creatures um, and they're made from whatever's around the roads, pavement, uh, rocks, whatever. Um, so they're not really putties made from putty like they were in the TV show. They're I think they still call them putties. I, I think I remember that, but uh, they're actually more of like a rock creature. So it's a little bit different, but they're uh, they're more menacing and more uh, powerful, more strong. Uh, and kind of ominous and big and bulky. So, yeah, kind of just, you know, the big thugs, thug villain, you know. Oh, good, because that's one of the things that the uh, series, when I, anytime I watch it, it's like, your villains don't seem like a threat. Yeah. And if your villain isn't scary or threatening enough, then it just, I don't care about your heroes. And the putties were just ridiculous to me. But, you know, making <laughs> them out of rock and stuff like that, that sounds a lot better, because now you got, like, you know, the like Krang Stone Warriors and Ninja Turtles, like, oh, these guys are made out of rock, so of course they're going to be tough. And so, yeah, all right, that definitely sounds like improvement. I'll probably get out to it, but uh, my list of priorities, I still haven't gotten to see Kong Skull Island yet. So <laughs> I got to see that one. That one looks awesome for sure. So, but I, I had to drop everything for Beating the Beast last week. But thanks for coming on and telling us about some Power Rangers and that movie, because I, you know, I knew somebody needed to cover it and I wasn't sure I was going <laughs> to. Hey, you're welcome. I'm glad I was able to share and I hope people go see it and, and let us know what they think about it. And hey, y'all go check out who did that voice, because if you're a Power Rangers fan, my goodness, because you've talked to uh, I forgot the actor's name, though, who played uh, the, the one guy. Yep. <laughs> I've had David Fielding, who played Zordon, and that's, that's the, the original Zordon from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Um, and then I've also had Kerrigan Mahan, who played Goldar, the original and only Goldar for me. And uh, he also played, uh, years later, he played Magna Defender, for those of you who know Power Rangers um, Lost Galaxy, and he was the Super Ranger in that series, which blew my mind, because when I interviewed him, I knew he was Goldar, but I didn't know he played a Super Ranger years later, so... And he's got a cool voice. <laughs> he does. He does. He is super cool. Um, both episodes are super amazing. And I'm working on getting more Power Rangers and uh, people from the original universe uh, on my show as well. But I have a variety of things from Barbie to the voice of Siri for iPhone, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you name it. So 
Yeah. So it's not just about the geek fandom of we love these characters. It's about a lot of the industry and these people who work in it who do all kinds of different stuff. It's really kind of fun. So so even though I'm not a Power Ranger fan, I will listen to the, the actors come on to his show because it's it is interesting to hear their perspective of how they've got into the business. Absolutely. So, and just it's real, a very, very cool show. Just real quick. Thank you, Jeremy. I really appreciate it. And I wanted to let everyone know this Friday coming up um, is my fifth. 50th episode. I can't believe it. And it is Mega Man from the 1990s who also played Cheetor from Beast Wars and who was the original Goku on Dragon Ball. Awesome. Yeah, very much so. Ian James Corlett will be on the show this coming Friday. You won't want to miss it. And you can find me on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, YouTube, all over the place. So awesome. To Disney and beyond. All righty there, Neverlanders. We are now here with a couple of guys who made this really cool documentary that I actually just got through watching. But I'm here with Michael Fiore, or is that Fiore? Fiore. Fiore. That's <laughs> the Italian way. It's the Italian way. So, And Eric Sharkey, not to be confused with Sharky the Shark Dog. <laughs> but, uh, exactly. It's a whole other Sharky. <laughs> But these two have made a really cool documentary about Disney legend Floyd, no- Floyd, Floyd Norman. If I can speak English, it's a wonderful thing. And uh, oh my gosh, this was really cool. And uh, I, I got to tell you, I was just watching a really good documentary last night called The Overnighters that turned into a very depressing documentary. Uh, so getting a chance to sit and watch this one today, uh, animated life with Floyd, uh, uh, Floyd Norman was such a refreshing change. <laughs> That's good to hear. We're glad you got some laughs and smiles out of it. If there's one thing Eric and I always talked about when we started to make the movie was, why is it that documentaries have become the genre of sadness? <laughs> <laughs> like we, we, we wanted to do everything in our power to make you know, a uplifting, funny, entertaining doc. So we're, we're glad, based on your response, that we were able to do that. Yeah, yeah we need more a... people like you. That are tired of uh, all depressing documentaries all the time, you know. Yeah, it even has a surprise happy ending that I didn't see coming. I was like, hooray! So, But I won't tell <laughs> anybody because I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> right. Well, we're glad you, were, you, that you enjoyed it and left inspired. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, it was really great. So how did you two start uh, making documentary films? Is that what you always wanted to do? Uh, no, I mean, I... I Started my last film was a documentary. It was about a famous post artist named Drew Struzan, who did a lot of the Star Wars and Indiana Jones posters. He did the Back to the Future posters, and that was the first feature documentary that I had done. But before that, I did narrative stuff. Uh, I think it was just I loved Drew's art so much I wanted to do it. And just like with this one, it was a, a love for Floyd and his art, but I, I kind of fell into it. And I've seen that, that Drew from a world. That's good. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I know I was going to, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I was about to say, um, I came from a world of uh, narrative as well. And my experience with documentaries leading to working with Eric on our Floyd Norman documentary was by making short docs that were a part of the bonus features that you would see on some sort of a notable feature, like the Wizard of Oz 75th anniversary or um, an indie film from, you know, director Tom DiCillo and uh, things of that nature. So I had always loved docs, 
but you know, finding the right person to focus on for a feature doc is not an easy task because it has to, you know, have its fair amount of conflict, mm-hmm. humor, you know, it has to be very well-rounded. And so when I never worked with Eric before, but we had a mutual contact, uh, our, our music composer, Ryan Shore, when I had heard of Eric through Ryan because Ryan had scored the, the Drew Struzan documentary, I called Eric up and just said, what are you working on next? And he said, you know, I've got a few ideas. And one of the ideas that he pitched me was uh, Floyd's story. And I was in total shock that nobody had made a feature on Floyd. And so at that moment, it was an absolute no-brainer. And uh, Eric and I got together twice over the next month or so, had coffee, lunch, just kind of felt each other out to see if we could work together well. And then we decided to do it. So literally four to five weeks after the first day we talked, we were sitting with Floyd in his house in Pasadena. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we start, we started shooting right away. Like the first couple of days, uh, we shot on the Disney lot with Floyd, which was really amazing because he walked us around the Disney lot and has just firsthand stories about working with Walt Disney and the nine old men who were the, the, the master animators, that uh, the first master animators that the, the Snow White and everything. So walking around with him there and having him share those stories and the film with him, and like Michael was saying, hanging out in his house and filming with him. He's got his uh, Disney Legend Award right there in his house. It's, it's fantastic. Wow. So uh, was, were you guys Disney fans beforehand, or did this just make you even bigger Disney fans? Or, well, I mean, I, I can imagine if I walked into that studio, I would just geek out all over the place. Oh, yeah. I mean, for for us, we both have our favorite Disney movies, and then when you're there with a guy like Floyd, it's there's like that pinch me moment <laughs> when you're getting a personal tour of the Disney animation building, you know, passing Walt's original office and the tour guide is Floyd. It's like, all right, you can pinch me. Cause <laughs> I need to know if I'm dreaming. Like this is really special. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and my favorite uh, Disney movie as a kid was jungle book and Floyd played such an important role in that movie. So I remember first time I even met him and talked to him, he casually brought up working with Walt Disney on the Jungle Book, and I was like, oh my God, that's my favorite Disney movie. Uh, so it's fantastic to learn about all these classic films through Floyd, who was actually there, who actually worked on like Sleeping Beauty and The Sword and Stone and 101 Dalmatians, all these great classics. You know? Yeah, I, I must say I was kind of geeking out a little bit watching the documentary, which seeing, you know, him, especially when he's, you know, drawing uh, some of the fairies from Sleeping Beauty, just like, I don't know if I remember how to draw this, but uh, something like that. And I was like, oh, my gosh, look, he's drawing it. You know? <laughs> and that was part of the intrigue for Eric and I, when we were kind of figuring out, you know, any filmmaker, any movie they work on, they kind of find the thing that excites them. And one of the things that excited us was the fact that there aren't many documentaries that pull back the curtain on the folks that made the, the Disney films. It's often that Walt Disney gets the attention and you know that there's a lot of talented people, but to, to see individual stories is very rare. So that excited us. But then, like, again, once we were there filming at the lot, once we were there filming Floyd Draw, we knew that this was, like, it is so rare to see it in any form, whether it's a news piece or just a, or a feature documentary, it's super rare. So that got us really excited and we kind of knew people are going to respond to this. Oh yeah. 
Now, the difficult part must have been trying to figure out what to use and what not to use, because I can imagine uh, you've got some footage there with all these Hanna-Barbera animators all sitting around there in this, this little diner, sitting there sharing stories. I'm like, oh my gosh, I could probably sit around these guys for hours and hear their stories. So how do you choose what you want to use in that? Oh, that's hilarious, because they, they are so funny, uh, those Hanna-Barbera guys. And I, I think we filmed them for like a couple hours, and it's just joke after joke, and then reminiscing and, and telling these stories. And then and then there's all the times you filmed with Floyd and all these amazing interviews that we had. So it is it is a mountain of footage, and it's quite a challenge to uh, put that all together in, in a, into a narrative, you know. Mm-hmm. We started with a three-hour cut. And, you know, we knew it was going to, the goal originally was to get it to like 75 minutes to 80 minutes. We ended up at 94. Um, and, you know, you sit there with this three-hour cut that came out of over 100-plus hours of film footage, archival footage, you know, you've got everything under the sun. And it really is just a matter of, of like, what is the most interesting story that you can tell or the one that's the most truthful to Floyd's story. And what we started to realize, you know, we started on the journey with a, Eric had a very unified view of saying, we want to tell a love story. It's about a man that loves his craft, a man that loves his family and in particular, his wife and his ex-wife and his kids. And we maintained that throughout the entire process of making the movie. But what did change was kind of the, the dramatic hook. We went in thinking that the movie was going to be, in some ways, more about race and race relations um, in kind of corporate corporate arts. And really, on like the first or second day we were filming with Floyd, he deflated that immediately. And it's in the movie, it's in the trailer. He says, I didn't even know I was an African-American. I was just a guy that like wanted to do a job. And the minute he made it clear that that was race was never an issue for him, there was that moment where we were like, "Oh wow! Like, what is what is the dramatic hook of the movie?" But then, as we got to know Floyd more and we talked to more people in his world, we realized that his forced retirement from Disney on his 65th birthday, um, in turn dealing with then ageism was actually a bigger mountain to climb than dealing with racism. But that didn't, you know, really show itself to us for many, many months into the filming. Yeah, and, that... yeah, and Floyd, you know, Floyd uh, expresses himself through art. So, you know, when he goes through hard times, he, he's not somebody to, like, really vocalize it. But what's great is all these amazing cartoons that he does that just, they're really fighting, and he really calls everything out in these, these fantastic cartoons. Yeah, the, the the book you all showed there in the documentary, I would really like to get a copy of it, because uh, some of the, the cartoons you showed where he was skewering something were hilarious. Because you, even though if you weren't in the situation, you understood exactly where he was coming from, and there is such a humor to it that it's brilliant. Yeah, I mean... A little satire, you know, he just uh, because it's, it's hard-hitting stuff, but it's funny, and mm-hmm. that's I think, and that's what's important. It's like it's with love, even if there's anger behind it, to make you laugh, and it's and it's uh, it's satirical. 
Yeah. And that is definitely the, one of the attitudes that I did love about uh, him is, well, you know, like you were just saying, where he he didn't realize he was African-American until somebody came in and told him. I love the way he just never let that be a factor. He just, you know, even on the, the clips from The View, he was an artist who wanted to work. He wanted to work at Disney, and he went and did it. And I, I love that. It's like, you know, why why is people get hung up on race? Just get in there. He Do what you love to do, and, and don't let people tell you no. <laughs> Yeah, and that I think when audiences, because uh, obviously we we did a theatrical run to qualify for the Oscars this year, and when we were in those audiences or at film festivals, a lot of times when we do Q and A's, people would express how they were so, in some ways, I guess happy that the movie wasn't about race. They were surprised in a very pleasant way. And it was like, oh, this is about something else. We didn't go down in some ways what would be the expected path. And again, that wasn't our choice. It was just Floyd has lived this life where, as you said, color wasn't an issue. It was, you know, persevere, don't take no for an answer. And, you know, ironically, ageism, which doesn't matter if you're, you know, white, brown, or in between, we are all going to get old and someone at some point is going to say based on a number on your birth certificate that you're no longer worthy. So it's a very universal story. And what we're happy about is told in a way that's really fun mm-hmm. and funny. And it's not a downer by any means. Like you will leave watching the movie smiling. Yep. And yeah, I, I mean, Floyd is really, in, Floyd is really inspiring because I mean, he's, he is the first African-American artist at, at Disney, but uh, like you were saying, he, he didn't set out to be that. He just had a passion. He loved animation. He loved drawing, and he had this passion to work for Disney, and he just followed it, and then he happened to be the first black artist. And and then by putting up all these great gags all over the place, he happened to get discovered by Walt Disney and got promoted to the story department and got to work with him on, on Jungle Book. So... He's definitely somebody who just thinks as an artist first. I want to pursue this. And, and in doing so, he uh, became a trailblazer. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. You know, if anyone ever tries to play the ageism card, you just show him a picture of Stan Lee. So, you know what? This guy hasn't stopped, and he's like 95. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, that's, that's the crazy thing about the corporate arts that, you know, as um, Paul Dini, the famed writer, says in the movie, you know, he's very black and white about it. Animation's corporate art. Yeah. And it's all about numbers. And as you get older, you're going to want more, and then they're going to say, no, we'll think the young guy is going to take less. But there has to be some middle ground. And Floyd came up in a period in Disney history where the older guys were put on a pedestal. They weren't asked to leave. They were guys that were there teaching after the work day, saying, come on in, you want to learn how to draw this way, you want to learn how to draw that, you know, we're here for you. And the, these older people were really respected. Now there's this feeling of it's too much about dollars and cents. And, you know, hopefully through this documentary, through Floyd's satirical voice, that'll change. Um, you know, corporate arts, as as we always say, Eric and I will talk about we'll say Floyd's not a fireman. He doesn't have to be able to lift three hundred pounds on his shoulder. <laughs> if his brain works and he's funny and he's smart and he has great ideas, why can't he be a story artist working on the next Disney movie? There's no reason he, he shouldn't be able to. 
Oh, exactly. Think about that, like the amount of experience that he has that he can pass on. I mean, there's not many artists left that can say, oh, I worked with Walt Disney. I worked at uh, uh, Hanna-Barbera, and then I went on to Pixar. I mean, he's seen the, uh, all these waves of animation that he's been a part of. I mean, the fact that he did work on like films like Sleeping Beauty, where there was no shortcuts. Everything was by hand, the hard way, and the fact that he adapted to new technology and worked at Pixar and movies like Toy Story 2, you know. Um, that's a, there's a wealth of experience there that, that younger generations can really learn from that, that has value. Yeah. And he did not just be a level of experience, but his knowledge of cinema going back to the 30s. I mean, when you see some of the gags that he does, like Eric is saying, you know, he was uh, working on uh, Toy Story 2. You know, there's the Jurassic Park gag, which at the time <laughs> yes. was a little bit more modern. But then, you know, you go back and he did uh, references to the old uh, uh Beach uh, Blanket Bingo movies and, you know, movies of the, the 50s and 60s. Like, he has this chest full of ideas that come from life experience, from mm -hmm. cinema knowledge, that, like, the young folks, they don't maybe have a knowledge of beyond movies of 1980. <laughs> and, you know, you need, you need to be able to reference everything, and that's why a guy like Floyd is so important. Especially in, as a story man, especially. Yeah, that's uh, one thing I, I really love listening to old radio dramas and old radio comedies because the way they did things was so entirely different back then, and it's stuff to me that really still holds up. I mean, we still hear the "Who's on first joke, uh, the entire sketch, and we can still laugh hysterically at that. I watch Groucho Marx and the Marx Brothers online all the time. Yeah. I laugh harder at that than I do at some of the contemporary stuff coming out now. So I agree with you 100%. So I hear you. One of, one of my favorite movies is uh, Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein. Yes. <laughs> Fixing them with universal monsters is just like the greatest thing ever. Totally. Yeah. So, see, those older guys that that know comedy that where you it wasn't shock value like we do today. We try to shock people into laughing, but the guys who actually knew how to tell a joke because you could relate to it, and the gift of satire when done properly to where even the person you're kind of maybe poking at could probably still laugh at it. That's, I mean, that's yep. impressive. I mean, to to see the way like Floyd Norman how he had his drawing of Walt and always looked like angry Walt because he's like, oh, he's got to go and do all this stuff. <laughs> but to know that Walt looked at these pictures and laughed at it and says, oh, hey, you need to come into our storyboard meetings. It's like, that's yeah. impressive. It's like, you can make fun of Walt and Walt will laugh at it and say, you know what? You're good. Come here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he didn't. He's on the Yeah, that shows what the company was like back then. That it was small enough where Walt Disney could walk the halls and say, oh, this guy made fun of me really well. <laughs> that's that's just you, you can't teach that in school that's just something you know he's just got a yeah. raw talent there and uh and the, the cool thing is is i what i really like about this documentary is i mean this is a name i had not heard before i think the first time i heard it was uh paul berry of window to the magic had mentioned something about the documentary coming up in the netflix on his facebook page and so i was like what is this so i went looking for it and i'm like oh hey look there's this whole guy i've never heard of and all this stuff wow look at this uh, and even sitting to watch it again, uh, uh, knowing all the things he did with uh, with Hanna Barbera and the list of cartoons that he worked on, just that is mind blowing. Uh, so, how do you keep from geeking out when uh, he's listing all these Hanna Barbera cartoons that you probably grew up watching like I did? 
Yeah, I love those cartoons, man. I mean, that's my childhood right there, watching Hanna Barbera, man. Watch and and it's all shows Ford worked on, and he's Josie and the Pussycats and Scooby Doo, and it was so funny as I'm geeking out and. And uh, Michael's geeking out, but he's like, oh, Scooby-Doo is so stupid. Uh, that dog is so annoying. I'm like, I love that dog. And, and I love that sequence because Michael did an amazing job uh, cutting that sequence because it's show after show, and you remember all of them, you know. And uh, also it's funny, too, because he, he says, oh, I'll never be able to remember all of them. And then in one cut, he remembers all of them. <laughs> but the reality is that wasn't an act. You know, that's not like Floyd is so humble. Like if Floyd tells you, I don't think I can remember him, he, he means it. But the way that it comes off is almost like he didn't. <laughs> and it was a whole planned routine, you know, like, all right, I don't know, but here you go. <laughs> And, and to even have him just, you know, casually mention some of these that, wow, like you said, it is like our childhood. And even starting off with Quickie Koala the, on the documentary, I was just about, you know, I hop, nearly hopped up off the couch. I was like, I love Quickie Koala. Holy cow. You know, because that, <laughs> it's that whole era of when really when television and animation became such a big thing with Hanna-Barbera that, you know, it just changed. It, it's what created to me Saturday morning cartoons. And to see somebody now who was involved with it and then to move into that cafe scene where you have all these guys that you know names you didn't know but like these are the people that basically raised you on your cartoons <laughs> that's why I, I was telling my wife you know i was like you know if i could have been a fly on the wall in that room <laughs> well, oh yeah the real stories right i mean from the guys who were actually there and the way they bust each other's chops and I love how they talk about how sort of cheap, I think for Floyd, like actually from Disney where you have like all the bells and whistles and they have barbaric, like, no, you got to recycle drawings and do yeah. it fast and cheap, you know? Uh, yeah. I, mean, I was going to say, if you really love that stuff with the guys, actually one of the cool bonus features we have on our Blu-ray has uh, an extended sequence with the guys at the cafe. So you get kind of more backstory on them, more stuff that they worked on and it's just again very light funny extended sequence we we eric and i kept saying we were cutting it like oh like you know these guys are so great maybe they should kind of be the through line you know like almost like in woody allen's um broadway danny rose where they're the Carnegie Deli and these guys you know that all work together talking and you keep coming back and forth but the reality is, is like you kind of have to earn it. It's one of those things where the payoff became better when you're kind of just like, it's Floyd's story and you're hearing about all these different things, you know, all these different roles you could have in animation. And then finally you come together with these people that kind of embody every aspect of animation. Whereas if you just kept peppering them in, after a while it would actually kind of deflate it a little bit. So it was a very conscious choice to put them in that one segment but for people that love it like yourself on the blu-ray you can have more fun with the guys oh yeah and i'm sold all right that's all i needed okay i'll go get it <laughs> i am there because i was enough of a cartoon junkie that uh, especially i loved i because i i had no idea that fat albert had started as a television special yeah so that would yeah, be and there's almost no way to see it outside of going to the paley center there's a copy at the Pally Center in New York and L.A., I believe. 
And they're, uh, the only other known copy uh, belongs to Leo Sullivan, Floyd uh, Norman's uh, creative partner. And other than that, not even Bill Cosby or his company has a copy. Nobody even knows who the rights are. Uh, holder is. Wow. We contacted everybody in the industry and they're like, we don't know it. <laughs> nobody knows who, not even the Paley Center. The Paley Center doesn't even know who owns it. So it's kind of this weird, like, did it exist? Because there's almost no copies. It's a strange phenomenon. Yeah, it's this lost treasure, and yet there are people who remember seeing that when it originally aired and thought it was so cool. And without that, there would be no Fat Albert TV show because it's that special that greenlit the show. So. Yeah, so I, I started to wonder there, oh, with, with, and the character designs were very, very different from the clips you showed, uh, but I wondered, like, because yeah. I know Filmation did that later, so, I mean, did Floyd get to work a little bit with Filmation, or did they just kind of take from that point and move on and, you know, because I, I guess some of the people from Filmation must have been involved if they were the ones that carry over, but did you find out I anything? don't know, maybe you didn't. They didn't do the pot. They didn't do the one Floyd worked on. They didn't do the special. Mm-hmm. Filmation ended up doing the actual series, so they didn't use the same people. Um, uh, and also, it was a few years apart. I think it was yeah. two to three years later that they did the filmation version. Um, but yeah, they're saying I don't know if, if there was crossover of, of creatives. I don't know who went. I don't think Leo went. Um, and I know Floyd didn't. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things you always have to wonder. It's like, oh, yeah, because I know Filmation started at that time. So it'd been kind of cool actually connected in there because there is actually a good Filmation connection uh, in that uh, you got to talk to Paul Dini, uh, which some of yeah. his early work there working on He Man and the Masters of the Universe uh, before he branched over to yeah. like Batman. And it was really cool seeing him in there. Like, oh, that's what Paul Dini looks like. I have idolized everything he's written for years now. <laughs> Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, bat, I mean, his work on uh, the Batman anime series is so fantastic. Yeah. So it was great to interview for the movie, and he just had the best things to say about Floyd, because he clearly, not only loves Floyd, but he loves that sort of the classic animation that Floyd was a part of, you know? Yeah. You've got a lot of really good people to uh, talk about Floyd in there that uh, you can geek out about every name nearly, because, I mean, Sergio, and I never know how to say Argonais. Aragonis, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But seeing him, I'm like, oh my gosh, Mad Magazine grew the wander, and then talking to Richard Sherman, uh, I mean, this, I mean, as a Disney fan, this is one of the ones I, I would probably not be able to focus on what I was trying to do because I'm probably going to be like geeking out over everybody you talk to. <laughs> I mean, Don Hahn, uh, golly, and even uh, now, I, I, I need to double check on who this this one guy, and I didn't catch what his name. I just noticed that uh, it said he had written. Lilo and Stitch were a co-writer on Lilo and Stitch, but then I think that was the same guy also that was listed as being a uh, a director, writer, director for How to Train Your Dragon, and it said trilogy, which I'm like, oh, I mean, there's yeah. a third one. That's uh, yeah, yeah. There's a they're they're, uh, they're putting the third one together now, but that's a uh, Dean, and I, I always mess up his last. I've known him since 2010. I still mess up his last name. So I, Dean Dubois. <laughs> you know. Uh, but yeah, he wrote, he wrote and directed the How to Train Your Dragon movies and Lilo and Stitch, and there is a third one coming up. And uh, he worked with Floyd on Mulan, which is which is great. Yeah, and that was one of those things that Floyd was just tremendous at. I mean, we only referenced two, but there's many other folks. Floyd had such an eye for talent. 
So, you know, Gary Trousdale is in the movie yeah. who co-directed Beauty and the Beast uh, with Kirk Wise and um, numerous other great Disney movies, Hunchback of Notre Dame, um, Atlantis. And, you know, he gave Gary his first job out of college <laughs> yeah. and really, you know, boosted him up and... Then Floyd, you know, went and worked with uh, Dean Dubois on Milan, and, you know, he knew that these guys, as, you know, in their early 20s, were going to be huge, and, you know, he was there nurturing that talent. That's that's a gift to have that ability. Mm. Um, without a doubt, he is fine. Yeah, it's definitely one of those unsung heroes uh, to, a, like... I guess a lot of the outside, you know, because there's there's so many Disney legends that that you hear their name, you don't really know who it is. But uh, you guys really took the time now to find a Disney legend and find all these people that he's had an, an effect on. Where I do know these names of the people he's had an effect on, and for that, I'm just totally geeking out watching this. Like, oh my gosh, I know who that is. I love that movie that this person made, and oh my gosh, it's all because Floyd Norman has somehow impacted their life. So I, he's the nexus of the universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, he's, he's worked with everybody. I remember it's in the documentary when he casually brought up working with Tex Avery. I was like, oh my god, yeah, Tex Avery, you know, <laughs> or like you did that animated logo to Soul Train, really? Yeah. That, you know, <laughs> and I think so that that's ranks. something that we you have to you have to go in and then really focus on the fact that. Floyd working at Disney is special enough on its own. But then he literally worked in the same room in the story department with Walt Disney. What I think a lot of people don't understand is they think, oh, well, if you worked at Walt Disney Productions, you would work with Walt. And the reality is, no. <laughs> so Floyd was that one in a million to get that opportunity. Um, so, you know, you always try to tell people, like, no, 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 Floyd, Floyd was very, you know, select few, and, and, you know, talk about cream rising to the top. I mean, his talents and his smarts got him there, for sure. Yeah, and definitely his sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> yes, totally. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine what it must be like for him to pitch boards to Walt Disney and Apple go, yep, yep, nope, not that much. Yeah, like, uh, he talked about it in the movie, I'll scared he was and mm -hmm. it's, it's true most people don't think of that they probably think oh it's so exciting but it's also got to be terrifying trying to trying to impress Walt Disney with your stuff you know yeah, which does remind me of uh, these little bits of animation throughout the film were just fantastic now who worked on those we had about 10 or so animators from all around the world Wow. And they all were very aware of Floyd. That was really the reason that they were all over it. And Eric and I sat down with a, a cut of the movie and said, let's pick around 25 to 30 sequences where we're either missing B-roll or we need to just, like, boost the humor of the sequence. And we always knew we were going to put animation, by the way, but it was just kind of like how are we going to use it to kind of elevate the narrative? So we sat down, we picked our sequences that we both liked, and then we sent a list to Floyd along with the actual, like, 10-second segments of audio and picture where they would fall in the movie. And Floyd was great. In, like, a week's time, he did, like, 25 to 30 single sketches for us. 
And then that informed the animators both as a character design guide, but it also kind of informed the narrative that they would then do in these like 10 to 20 second long little animations. So the process was a lot of fun, and, and all these people, I mean, they all these animators were great. They're all very up and coming, and all of them have very bright futures. They did all did a great job. Oh, yeah, they were really great and really funny. I loved it. It really did add a lot of fun to the film to where it's not just, you know, you know, documentaries can be very informative. You can sit there, hmm, I'm learning new things. But uh, to have the bits of animation really helped add to the charm of the film, uh, you know, other than the fact that Floyd himself seems to have just this really good, positive attitude about things. Uh, which is something that we really yeah. found here at Neverland. Uh, and so combining that with the animation really just helped to tell his story. It was a wonderful choice to include that. Well, it makes sense because he's a cartoonist and an mm-hmm. animator, but also it's like a view into his head. So it's like the way Floyd sees these events of his life because he sees everything as a cartoonist or, or as an animator. So it, it's great. To, to, it adds a lot of humor, but it also adds sort of insight into Floyd's you know, thought process of while things are happening. And we kept trying to figure out, because keep in mind, while Disney's archives run very deep with material, as Floyd always said to us, he if you found storyboards from the Jungle Book, in archives. He's like, I wouldn't know where my art began, and Vance Geary's did. <laughs> like, you were trained to basically draw it all the same way. Yeah. So, um, you know, we kept saying, well, how do we guess, without having the exact archival sometimes of what Floyd did, how do we get Floyd as the artist in? And so, by having these single gag images that Floyd drew, you know, inform the animation, you truly see that Floyd is in every animated segment. And so what's really cool, again, on our Blu-ray, is we have a featurette. This is actually my favorite featurette on there, where it's a side-by-side view of, you'll see Floyd's gag, and then it'll cross-dissolve into the animation that it informed. So you'll see all 25 to 30 back-to-back, and you really, when you see it side by side like that, you really realize, wow, these artists did their best job to make sure that it, it looks like Floyd animated them. <laughs> um, it, they really did a great job. Yeah, and I, uh, when watching the film and seeing, you know, after seeing some of the animated sequences, then it's watching Floyd draw, and I start recognizing the style, I was like, oh, that's really cool. It almost looks like he animated the whole thing. That's brilliant. So, <laughs> that was a nice touch. That was awesome. Uh, so what are you all going to do next? Or what are you working on now? Because I know it can be like a three- to four-year process making a documentary film. So you going to make another documentary? More narrative? or? Uh, could be. You never know. I mean, there's so many great people to uh, make movies about. You know, there's so many inspiring people out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Eric and I have come together on an idea that we were fleshing out, so, you know, we'll see. And then also, uh, I have a scripted uh, suspense thriller coming out from Sony Screen Gems this year called Keep Watching. Um, and it stars uh, the former Disney star, ironically, um, Bella Thorne and Chandler Riggs from The Walking Dead. So that's that's uh, coming up this year, and that'll be in theaters. Awesome. All righty. So now people are probably going to want to get a copy of this Blu-ray for all these extra things. What's the best way to go and find a copy of this? Super easy. You can just visit uh, floydnormanmovie.com, 
and actually we have a contest going on that is actually the, the second time we're doing this. Um, if you buy a Blu-ray, and if you take a photo of yourself with the Blu-ray, post that photo online and hashtag it floitering. Floitering is uh, the combination of two words. Floyd and loitering, <laughs> and it was a term that was created when Floyd got force retired and he didn't want to leave Disney. Someone said, "You know, you're floitering." <laughs> so there's there's a lot of time on screen that we spend with Floyd floitering, but you'll have your chance to floiter with Floyd because we're going to select one person at random from these posts online to be uh, flown or taken to Burbank. Uh, to have lunch with Floyd at the Disney lot and have a tour uh, led by Floyd. We, as I said earlier, we awarded our first winner about six weeks ago, Tiffany and the Cuman from up in the Bay Area. And she had an incredible time. And uh, Eric and I, our schedules were such that we were able to join her. And it was incredible. Just watching her joy was incredible. And Floyd, Floyd was wonderful and set up a, a great tour of Walt's original office, which has been redone wow. from uh, archival photos using all the original desks, tchotchkes, you name it. Um, and you can actually go online on all our different social media outlets on Facebook for Floyd Gordon uh, documentary. You can go and you can actually see video from her day and photos. So that could be you if you had the contest. Oh, yes, yeah, that will really be me. <laughs> and, I'm, and, and I'm telling you, it, it was amazing. Like, he walked us around the animation building. He took us to Walt's office. And Floyd's telling her these stories. And we were there, too, telling her these stories about, like, firsthand stories even we hadn't heard before after years of making the movie. So it's really a unique, one-of-a-kind way to experience Disney with a Disney legend. You know, she left really inspired, and so did we, so it's fantastic. Oh, yes. My goodness. And I can I can attest to when you get a chance to uh, hear from Disney legends and be in the same room and hear their stories. It is a wonderful thing. Uh, I got to do a thing up in Marceline this past summer where I had to uh, I can't remember the names of these three guys, but they were three guys that some of the original employees in Disneyland and the original Tom Sawyer was there. And uh, they had so many great oh, wow. stories to tell that it's if you're a Disney fan, you are going to just sit there and soak it in like a sponge. <laughs> So this sounds like a really good opportunity. Huh? Yeah, the hometown museum Museum? in Marceline. Yes, I go up there every year. That's wonderful. You guys, uh, or not you, but that museum—they're actually going to begin carrying the Blu-ray starting next week for their uh, 2017 series and uh, season, I should say. And I think they're actually trying to bring Floyd out as well to do uh, an in-person Q and A. Oh, goodness. Okay, we'll see. When that happens, I will be there. <laughs> I, yeah, we're actually just talking to them now. So, uh, yeah, that will be sometime, I think, in April or May. Oh, goodness. Okay, well, I am there. And if you get a chance to talk to Kate Mallins or Peter Whitehead, tell them Jeremy from the Neverland Podcast says hello. <laughs> yes, we're talking about Peter. So there you go. I will I will extend the hello. Yes, they, actually, last year at Planet Comic Con, him and Kay had came down, and I had a panel. We talked about Walt yeah. Disney's time at Marceline. It was so much fun. Oh, they're great oh, that's people. great. Yeah. 
Very cool. Oh, yes. So this year I'm going to do slightly different. We're going to talk about Walt Disney's time in Kansas City, but I'm not having them come down because they're more of a Marceline expert. So i got to find my own experts now. <laughs> That's cool. That's definitely – There's. I've been telling people that go to Marceline for years to come to Toon Fest, but there's a different round May and April. Keep an eye on this because if Floyd Norman comes to town, you're going to want to come to Marceline and check it out. Because these talks are so great, yeah. and you hear so many good stories. And when you get into the presence of these legends, it is—it's like this electric thing. You're like, "Oh my gosh, look at the things they've done!" And you know, oh, it's—it's it's oh, very yeah. exciting. So, and and Floyd loves telling stories. He loves sharing his history, and uh, and he also is very kind about doing drawings for people. So you could go a nice drawing to yeah. So. I'm there. If, in case I wasn't convinced already, I'm there because that'd be awesome. So, oh my goodness. <laughs> well, thank you guys for coming on the show. Uh, this has been great thank fun, you. and I'm now like super excited to get get my hands on this to watch the bonus features. <laughs> nice, please do. Yeah, we, uh, you know, the the, the movie's had an extremely nice life over the last eight months or so, and. Uh, the Blu-ray definitely, if, if you've seen it online, Netflix or iTunes or anything like that, the Blu-ray uh, definitely has stuff that you're not going to see anywhere else. So it's, it's yeah. definitely one for fans. Definitely. And the, uh, artwork on, the artwork on the Blu-ray was done by Drew Struzan, who did uh, you know all the Star Wars and Indiana Jones posters. So it's uh, amazing artwork, too. I thought that looked like his style, and I was looking at this picture. It's like that kind of looks like Drew Struzan work and stuff. Because that was an awesome documentary, That's by the him. way. Wow! Thank you very much, sir. I think I really appreciate that. But yeah, we we were very lucky to have him do the artwork for us. So. Yeah, because he's uh, he's super talented well too. <laughs> yes, awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you once again. This has been great. Thank you so much, Jamie. Thank you, man. Thanks for having us. Anytime. You guys get another good project like this, you can let me know. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official Lost Boy or Pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash NeverlandPodcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland Podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. 
Sharon Podcast. We love you. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.